Welcome to another VO Radio Show. I'm Andrew Peters and in Sydney... Is Robbo. G'day, how are you? I'm very well indeed. Now, we've got a special guest today. He's actually an old mate of yours. He is an old mate of mine, a guy called Tony Peterson. He's a freelance copywriter. We go way back. We worked together in radio on a number of occasions. Um, The last time we worked together, however, was at Sydney's number one radio station, 2GB, Uh, and Tony was the copywriter there. I was the production manager, and uh, we collaborated on a promotion for the station called the IMB uh, IQ Challenge. And it oh. consisted of 60-second pre-recorded um, questions, trivia questions. Yep. I think in the end we recorded about 120 of them. But um, I've got one here, actually, if you want to have a quick listen, just as a sample. Sure. The 2GB $100,000 IMB IQ Challenge. Thanks to IMB, banking and financial services. It's the early 60s, and Australia, like the rest of the world, is caught in the grip of Beatlemania. Four young lads from Liverpool with their infectious pop songs and mop-top haircuts were changing the course of popular music forever. In 1964, it was Australia's turn to see what all the fuss was about. But the most memorable scenes of mass hysteria nearly didn't happen. When the tour was organised, Adelaide had been left off the tour map. This prompted local DJ Bob Francis to organise a petition with 80,000 signatures, all pleading with promoters to bring the Beatles to the city of churches. On the 13th of June, 1964, 300,000 people, a third of the population of Adelaide, came out to see the Beatles arrive. As you know, John, Adelaide's only got a million people in the whole state, and I think it's the whole here, though, But in all the turmoil, there was one person missing. Ringo Starr had not made the tour and was replaced by a session drummer. Jimmy Nickel, who's taken the place of Ringo Starr. Jimmy Nickel, everybody. What illness was Ringo Starr suffering from? OK, well, I know the answer to that one, Robo. Go on. Tonsillitis. Did he really? There you go. Yeah. So there you go. So Ringo had to have his tonsils out. There you go. See, but I'm sorry, the $100,000 challenge is over, so you don't get anything for that. <laughs> Damn. It was only 17 years ago. Surely it hasn't Surely finished yet. Surely there'd be something. Exactly. So, yeah. um, so anyway, we've actually got Tony on the line. So, Tony, welcome along, mate. How are you? Hey, thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me along. It's good to have you here. Uh, it's been a long time since we've worked together. Give us a, a bit of a background of where you've been, what you've been doing, all the rest of it. Well, we, we bumped into each other was, uh, in radio station land and uh, sort of... Fighting a good fight to get good quality, you know, commercials on the air with incredibly ridiculous deadlines involved. Uh, but since then, I've sort of been freelancing. I get back to radio stations uh, on and off, but you know, I now run my own race and sort of look after creative for small, small clients, direct clients. You know, just just basically try and eke out a living. There's uh, still a lot of people that value having a, a different thought in every script, and a lot of people still value. A lot of clients still like the fact that I'm prepared to give them something a little bit different and uh, try and shock them a little bit. It's funny, isn't it? As much as we bitch and moan about clients who don't want to put up a, a reasonable budget and, and don't want to sort of step outside those, in inverted commas, safe boundaries, um, there are still plenty of people out there who, who are interested in that, right? Absolutely. And I think sometimes it's, um, we may, as a collective creative, have been our own worst enemy. I think that we sort of get a bit embarrassed by having something that's a bit weird. And I think that one way, one thing that I found early on that was good was that if I can give every client two, 
two ideas. So I, I actually do two tracks for the price of one, if you know, in a retail sense. But I'll always lead with something that's a bit out there. And if they reel back and they go, "Oh man, where where are you from? Did you read the brief? Are you have you you know have you been on the pot?" I say, "No." Well, <laughs> Here's, here's something that, well, this might be you know, more your speed. You know, a couple of times that they listen to the straight one and they go, well, you know, now that I hear that, maybe just should I take them both? And I go, yeah, that's a win for me any day. Because there's so much content that's on radio, um, especially if you're going up to a news break. Uh, so you've got your three or four minutes of ads, then you've got your news, then you've got weather, and then you've probably got a couple of 10 seconds thrown in the middle as well. How do you try to get cut through? Do you use it with the script? Or do you use it with uh, the way you do the production or oversee the production of it? Yeah, Andrew, good question. I think it's just that combo of everything. I'm really mindful of where you might be in the break. So sort of try and build a buffer into a commercial so there's no excuse for them to think that it's an extension of the previous commercial we've heard. Like you're just sort of building something that um, clearly defines your space. Um, a sound effect, nothing, nothing uh, crass, but it just all you know. Just start with a proposition that makes it very clear that we're in a di- we're in a different commercial world. Uh, Voice wise, <clears throat> always good to listen to your station. So I find that that's if you know the sort of voices that your station is using all the time, maybe stay away from those voices because you, you could always pick who's been in that week to do the session because I might have two or three commercials in that break already. So already there's, you're up against it. There's a bit of clutter there as well. So and know who, who their promo voices are to make sure you're you know, well away from them as well. Now, this is interesting because a fairly well-known Australian voice female voiceover artist who I have the utmost respect for, don't get me wrong, wrote a blog on this exact subject the other day talking about casting and getting work as a voiceover artist and her thoughts on this were that you listen to a radio station hear what types of voice they're using and if they are using a voice like that like yours then maybe you should target them but you you're suggesting almost the opposite to that would that be right from a voiceover artist's perspective well, you can certainly listen to the style and you could maybe get a better handle on their demographic or what they what they think their DNA of, of the station is. You could you could do that. I mean you could also be thinking about listening to clients that they've got on air and transcribing commercials just to do demos of so that you're actually taking stuff in that isn't not unfamiliar to the creative director. You couldn't uh, do too much study into what a station is delivering. But yeah, from an independent producer, I, I'd like to I like to be a little bit different. So that's that's why I would I would be looking for something that was a little bit different. Do you see that as your responsibility a bit as a as a freelancer, as an outside of the station sort of um, consultant, for want of a better term? Do you think that's your responsibility to sort of step outside the box a bit and push the boundaries? Yeah, I think that. I think it comes back to those days when you used to, I don't know, you know put the coloured dot on the cart so you, you never had the two voices, the same voice run back to back. Or you always wow. had a male and female. Or those were the good old days, yeah. weren't they? Yeah. yeah. But, it, but it meant that you weren't going to hear someone back to back. It meant that you weren't going to have, um, you know, you, you could even have male, female, male, female if that's how you wanted to micromanage it. I mean, these days I hear commercials for conflicting clients back to back, and I go, "What the hell's going on there?" You know, that would never that would never be tolerated. How can you yeah. how can you even think that's a good use of your client's money? Mm. I actually was watching TV just recently on one of the major networks, and. Uh 
they had three car ads in a row. Wow. Unbelievable. You yeah. were, that was an absolute no-no when we were when we were young. It should still be now, let's be honest. But yeah, know, exactly. If I was the car if I was the car client stuck in the middle of the two, you'd be kicking up a stink, wouldn't you? I had a client who actually got um Kelly marketed by a radio station, uh, by sorry, by a production house. It's be hard to not give this away. But please not rang him. So I look up, we hear your ad, and you're, you know, you're like, uh, we've heard, we've monitored your ad 30 times this week, and 18 times you've been six plus in the break. So what you really need to do is you really need to stop spending money with that station and actually give it with us. And, you know, the people were offering him a soulless, a soulless spot. You know, for a lot more money for a, quite a high loading. How do you target your the p- person you want to reach, the, the potential buyer of a product? Uh, I remember the um, station that I worked for used to do a lot of lot of concerts, and up on we went to, I grabbed a photo of one of those big ninety thousand people concerts, outdoor concerts, and put that on the wall. So any time that I thought that I was you know, being a bit too simple or insulting the audience, I'd look at the picture and I'd say, well, you know, I think that those people are actually smart enough to know that I'm selling them short. Or if I've got something that requires a bit more explanation, I look at the photo. So I, I think that's that's one way of keeping it real. Nice. You mentioned before about not seeing anybody. Like when you when you're casting for a voice, you don't necessarily see the person you're casting. You actually just hear them. A couple of things. One, what are you looking for when you hear a demo? Uh, do you like demos to be heavily produced, or do you just like a, a really co- a cold read, or just a, someone talking? Uh, and secondly, how do you feel about a home studios? Good questions. I think what what helps is not to be overproduced, but to be be thinking of being be mindful of the people listening to it. Like when writers probably aren't going to be listening to the words that they're saying; it's just a style. But it just might be that any time that you can shake things up and that, that you, you actually have a joke, or you get to a point where you, where you say, "Did they really?" You know, we have to flip back and go, "Did they really say that?" Hang on. Um, like hundreds of voices now to choose from. It's and uh, it's really if you don't listen to everybody, you're not doing the right thing by the script because there just might be someone there that uh, brings it to life. And so many times a voice has saved my ass. Just, you know, a great read will save a crappy script, you know, and and I'm so eternally grateful for the men and women that have sort of, you know, made me look good when I've really been below par. And for for an online studio, well, um, when I first started, it's it's not something that wouldn't have been my first go to and it took me a while to even even get there and the first one that I sent out I actually read the script myself how insulting for the voice but uh, I actually read it because I thought well how am I ever going to get my inflections or how am I ever going to get you know the, a, a particular delivery if, if I'm not going to be in the same room but then uh, only like a week or two ago I said something off and um, it came back without any instructions at all and it came back perfect. So to take a step backwards, we were talking about, about voices and, and, and your casting process. Do you have a go-to box or a go-to sort of group of voiceover artists that you turn to in an emergency or how do you, how do you work in that respect? And, and how would a voiceover artist get into that box of go-to artists? And am I in it? You know, I think the the best thing is anyone that you've worked with, you start to get an idea of what their range might be. And there's there's certainly something in, you know, in the perfect world, I think you'd have an ensemble where you'd be able to have a session every week with the same four or five people 
and maybe uh, try and do something, you know, move roles around and actually create a little production team. But we don't have that luxury. And the other thing is that maybe, is, you know, there's always going to be things, scripts and briefs that don't fit that, that sort of thing. Maybe that's uh, the uh, agents, agencies that have too much time and too much money. But working with someone, you get to know their range. And also, you're always on the lookout for new people. So I think the meet and greet still has uh, uh, links. I still think that if voiceovers can, artists can re up and say, hey, I've got a new demo, could I come in? And, and there's that. And, and also, that if there's a job on Thursday and you ring up Wednesday, there just might be the chance to, to get that. Also, I think stations are looking to... Uh, find unearthly people all the time. The busy stations are under enormous time pressure and they're always looking for someone, maybe not necessarily doing great reads all the time. Sometimes it's just a script that can be read once is is a beautiful thing. You know, so it's something that reads to time when the script is clearly long. That's a beautiful thing too, you know. So it becomes down to a, a practical side of things. So I'd never discount those qualities I also remember that if you good value in the studio, if you can uh, just limber up with, you know, and show a bit of bit of personality, I don't think it's sort of showing up, but it breaks the ice and it breaks down that wall between the, the big glass window between the booth and the and the room. And also, if writers and producers are listening for what you can't, you can and can't do, so it might be that if you have a bit of a, a routine, um, they might pick something up and use you and say, oh, next time I need someone that sounds a bit like, mm. you know. Let me take you one step backwards from there. What would be the first thing that would make you skip to the next track if you heard it on someone's demo? No, no question. That's, that's um, you know, foreign accents. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. What, a bit British-sounding? You know, Mid-Atlantic? And not to say that I haven't written scripts asking for those things, but, gee, you're not going to pull it off. If it's a full 30-second read in an Irish accent, or someone's got an answering machine with John Cleese on it, and it goes for, like, hours, and after 15 seconds, like, the joke's not funny anymore, or, mm. and the pull, and you can hear the sweat. In the, in the booth, you know, the guys try to crack out, crank out the, yes, what, what? So, yeah, what I do, if I have to, if, if I do go down that road creatively, I just sort of have, like, the intro with the character and then get a real good enough to straight out to do the cell and maybe just have the punchline or the gag done by the character. So it's like five seconds of the script max. I, I remember um, when I heard an announcer came off the back of it and he said, that accent is as Irish as Tabooli. <laughs> I always find it interesting in this day and age where there's so many home studios around, there's so much access to talent all over the globe, why we bother having someone come in doing a really bad accent when you can actually just tap on someone down the line and have the real accent read by a totally. professional voice talent who's actually Irish and lives in Ireland. Yeah, totally agree. It's 10 o'clock. Uh, oh, it's 10 sorry, o'clock. That was fine. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, well, I went to a podcast the day and the, the, there was like two schools of thought. One was like warts and all, mm. where you don't do any editing and you just and it runs for an hour and 10 and, it, and you don't do any editing. And you, you, if you go to make a cup of tea, you leave, <laughs> leave the yes. mic open and yeah. make a cup of tea. Yeah, the other school of thought is where it's all like sort of radio national. I actually prescribe to both of those because this one, <laughs> this one I do with AP, it's very loose, isn't it, mate? Yeah, but, yeah. Um, I still, edit, I still, I must admit, we do edit the crap out of it only yeah. because if you can imagine sitting in a doctor's waiting room and the doctor le- leaves the door open, 
there are certain things you don't want to hear. So <laughs> that, that's kind of my philosophy when it comes to podcasting. Yeah. yeah. Sausages analogy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know you send scripts off and you send off with a quick brief and the script and, you know, kind of cross your fingers and hope you get back what you were hoping to get. What about connectivity? Do you ever tap into a studio and listen, you know, direct down the phone or Skype or...? No, I've just got two... Like, it's like two worlds, very separate. One is... This is just something that I need really quickly done and I haven't got the time or the headspace to supervise it. Would it help the, the voice to have that, do you think, Andrew? I think it, well, it can certainly save time if I'm getting direction from the beginning, at least I know where it's at, even if it's for the first, you know, for one read-through and you say, oh, can you give us more of this or can you do that? And then you just jump off the phone and I'll, I'll just knock it together and send it across. Mm-hmm. That that certainly does help. But then again, you know, like I said before, if you if you kind of know the client, you know kind of what they want, you're always going to be pretty close, I think. How do you feel about um, good direction on paper? You know, someone says this is a conversation between two people who may be brothers but of different mothers, you know? How do you feel about getting, like, a a backstory on, on characters and things like that? Sometimes it can be confusing because what you see as something that could be a really, really good brief, you're going, yeah, I kind of get what I'm writing here. This makes sense. I could look at it and go, what? I don't even know what that means. So that can get a bit confusing. Um, and the other thing about direction, which I like, and I, don't, I, I must admit, I'm 95, 98% of the work I do now, I do from here. So I don't actually get face-to-face with that many people. But what I do like about being in a studio with uh, a producer is a lot of the things you hear are not necessarily what they want. You use visual cues. So I can look at you through the glass, you can say one thing, but I'm watching you and I, I'm, I can tell by your expression that that's kind of not what you really mean, you mean something else. Or I can hit a certain part of the script and I'll see your eyebrows go up or something, it's like, okay, well, there's a problem there, so we'll come back and look at that bit. Well, I've always been mindful of being one of those producers that doesn't believe they've got a mortgage on the, the right answer because I've, I've been actually given something that I hadn't quite thought of. And you've got to remember that I've been living, I've been living with this job and the, these characters in this fantasy world and for a long time. And I sort of, they're sketchy to me and I sort of know what I want them to do. But if you come back with something that, you know, I'm not going to say, no, just stick to the script. I'm just going to say, well, well, that was pretty interesting. Where, you know, I wonder where that could, could possibly go to. So I think that, yeah, that, that's right. Is there, are there other things that writers could do that could actually help remote actors? It's nice to get just a brief, like an idea of, you know, the pace, projection that you want, whether it's going to be, you know, in your face or intimate, that kind of thing. Um, but like I said before, you probably look at the script and go, well, it's, you know, it's the tw- 24-hour BMW sale at whatever. You kind of get an idea well, of what the back, script's... Yeah. But if you go back and ask questions, um, or does that, is there, like, this understanding that this particular way of working is all about being time-critical? Uh, both. It, like I said, you will send me something, you need to turn it around quickly, I'll knock it on the head. I'll usually give at least three reads and try and vary them a bit. So if you're not happy with the first one, the second one or the third one could be closer to it. Or if, you know, push comes to shove and you call me and go, mate, can you know that you, you've missed it completely? Can you do it this way? It's like, yeah, cool. Then I know what I shouldn't be doing. And I've got a much better idea of what I should be doing. And if I, if it's something that's not like super urgent, that I know that, you know, there's a bit of time up my sleeve and I see it, I'll just send an email back going, you know, what do you want? What, how do you want to hit this? What do you want to do? Or make a quick phone call, you know. Oh, and for me, the promise of being able to work this way is not necessarily, is, is all about having access to talent you normally wouldn't see. 
that's the thing that someone's living in Byron Bay or one of the sessions I did the other week was uh, an actor who um, who was doing a theatre production in Broome. So we did, we made it work because I wanted to use him. And um, normally, you know, anyone that's got a theatre production happening, um, they're off limits anyway because they're rehearsing or they they just get blocked out by their agent. But I was, I just thought this is one way it works. So it's it's always about being able to find that person that will just do the script justice. Um, you know, and I and I don't know how uh, a multiple voice script through that process. So I'm not sure if I would or what circumstances I would or how it would work. I know it can be done and I know it is done all the time. In fact, I have used it. But, you know, it must be even more difficult to not get the... If you're not getting a cue off a producer, you're also not getting a cue off your voice, your, you know, your wife, you know, your, your on-script wife or your on-script husband or your on-script children. Yeah, but then again, if you've got one of all of the above, then you just drag them in the st- in the booth with you and read to them, read with them. Ah, uh, Okay. That's what I would do. I'd just get my wife to come in and read with me or if the kids are, you know, when they get home from school and come in and read if, if I needed to do that. Well, I think that's great. I mean, that's, that's the way to get all those things you can't script, you know, how people overlap when they talk. Yeah. The good thing is for me, I've got a 13-year-old daughter who's studying to be an actor and um, <laughs> she comes in, she's studying the Alexander Technique and all this kind of stuff. So it's kind of good for me. I'm learning from her, which is kind of good. You've opened a Pandora's box there, the two of you, just with that conversation listening in. And I'm interested to hear from both of you on this, actually. I'm going to ask you both this question, but I'm going to set it up first of all. A couple of weeks ago, I was sent a job and I was told, look, you weren't actually the first choice for this job, but can you have a look at it for us? And my answer was sure. And it was, it was a cooking piece, right? It was someone in a kitchen doing a recipe to camera. And the job was to mix it, but also to do all the foley because they'd had a lapel mic on the host all the sound effects and stuff weren't there. There, they, they, there was just no sound effects of, you know, the frying and, and cooking and chopping and blah, blah, blah. So I grabbed my microphone, my 416, went into the kitchen, had a list of all the sound effects I needed and recorded them and put them down. Long story short, sent it back. The client said, fantastic, we love it. How the hell did you do it? And I said, well, went into the kitchen and recorded it. And they said, oh, well, you know, this guy was taking stuff. The other guy who failed was taking stuff off CD and just laying it up. But the question that comes to me from what you're saying is, from what you guys are talking about, is the days of thinking that way, of what you, what you guys are talking about, of grabbing the wife and talking, do you see some of the old tricks and talents disappearing, that they're not being transferred to the next generation? Well, I think it's just because you only do learn those things by making mistakes. And sometimes you get to a point in your life where you, when you sort of start out, you're a bit bulletproof and you, you, even if you do make mistakes, you don't even learn from them. So I think that, yes, there is this notion. Uh, I mean, it also comes down to this, this bugbear of mine that there's this notion of what an ad should sound like. And everything that I've ever sort of tried to do when it mattered was to make something that didn't sound like an ad. I think that's the most perfect ad. You know, so it might be a script where, you know, someone's so exasperated about a situation in their life that they they just unload into the microphone and don't even say the client's name, but somehow the client's name is the last word in the script. You know, I think that's a... I was really, really proud of that, and I'm sure other people have done it, but I just thought, yes, we're breaking away from the fact that people have this preconceived notion, and and unless we challenge it, it's just going to make it harder and harder for ourselves and those that follow, because clients are always going to say, well, you know, I have this idea of how an ad should be, and I'm going to write it. 
and you know, there's going to be nothing in my mind wrong with it because it just sounds like the sort of thing you do anytime you have that same setup, that same product problem, that same solution. You know that same tag or, or you know a repeat of, of of the of the offer. So so yeah, I think I think there's um, there's that about the preconceived ideas about the about a commercial, and also that comes from the fact that you know so if agencies are wanting this natural sound, this I'll talk it, I won't project it. It's just because they got this paradigm in their head. So what's the hardest thing based on that? What is the hardest thing to, to write? Is it uh, fantasy or reality? What is the most difficult? I think they're all just really, still really hard. But I think that if you want that reality, it's, it's go sit on the train and have a listen to what people are saying and just eavesdrop and just try and get the, the handle on how people are really talking and that thing before about overlapping and, and whatever. And then if it's fantasy, you just have to sort of call on your inner child and like I don't sort of see people in, in real life I remember writing some stuff for, um, for one of the politicians and I never sort of saw that politician as a real person they're just another character and you sort of get things that, that they wouldn't normally say or I mean I did some stuff with a, with a, a football referee and it could have been really straight, but you know, I sort of took him to Antarctica to referee a game against some penguins, or you know, put him um, in the desert, you know, refereeing a game against some tribes. I, I just think that you just so not to overthink it. First thought, best thought is sometimes the way as well. Yeah, it's interesting with, when you're doing a character, which I don't do very much of, but if I had to do something where I was conversational being myself, I can be myself if I'm not myself. If I had a, an accent or something, I could be far more natural than using my own voice. Well, you could probably actually go to the trouble of naming that character and actually thinking, well, I'll just bring out Claude. Yeah. Oh, you read the script and you go, oh, this, is, this one's for Claude. And you just yep. in your head, you click the switch. Claude, yeah. there's a name you don't hear much. Yeah. Claude Claude Balls. He was the uh, cat owner from down the road, yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, Tony... Well, I think voiceovers could, have, voiceovers could actually have actors, uh, could actually have characters. I'm sure... Actually, I'm sure they do. I mean, I remember uh, Dave Gibson did that character called Roland Rollador. <laughs> Roland yeah. Rollador's Rollador's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, what? it's funny. He, he goes to an audition or I don't know what the process was, but suddenly it's the voice of Lucky the Cat, the, yes. the, the presenter for the lotteries. So I wonder if, you know, just said, oh, yeah, I'll just give him Roland. That's right. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, Tone, uh, thanks so much for your time. If, um, if anyone wants to procure your services, where do we go? What do we do? Um, just... Go to the website, wtbi.com.au. That stands for What's the Big Idea? And um, just doing a few podcasts around the place under the under the banner of Audio Nation. So if you see any of, any of those, have a listen to how we sort of try and put long-form programming together. Mm. Well, I'm going to throw my vote of confidence in there. I've worked with Tony on a number of occasions and uh, you could do worse than looking him up. Thanks, Robert. Not a and, problem. And, uh, yeah, we should get in contact. I reckon we've probably crossed paths anyway. We must have done because oh, we seem absolutely. to seem to know the same people and I've certainly worked with Solomon and John Hughes, Solomon Gates and John Hughes. And, and you, you presented uh, Rock Arena, was that right? <laughs> Bloody hell. Wow. <laughs> you must be a paleontologist in your spare time. Uh, YouTube, YouTube's a pretty handy sort of thing. <laughs> yes, I did. Got yeah, to do your research. About, about 25 kilos ago. <laughs> and how many hairs? <laughs> a lot more follicles than I've got now.
you, you presenting that Radio Birdman concert was is still very cool. Ah, oh, yes, that. yes, yes. Yeah, I remember that very well, Radio Birdman. In fact, one of the guys I remember that was working on that, there was a bunch of the crew that w- were shooting Rock Arena that actually shot that concert. Oh, okay. Is it, yeah. that, was it Mar- Mariataville? Is, is that the pub? Or? I can't even remember. You talk about like 1983 or something. Yeah. <laughs> when we somewhere, did the show. Somewhere through the cocaine haze. <laughs> <laughs> That's pre, pre all that, I can assure you. Um, so, Tone, thanks very much for your time, mate, and uh, hopefully we will get you back on again soon. No worries. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Robert. Thank, thanks, Andrew. No worries. Oh, here's my card. Oh. <laughs> Helvetica. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> I, don't, I don't scrimp. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Beauty. Cheers, Tony. Cheers. Thanks, Tony. Are you still using cardboard cards? <laughs> Absolutely. Print <laughs> myself. <laughs> oh, bully no, for I you. Just, I just do them on the typewriter, use a heavy stock. <laughs> and uh, just get the guillotine, cut them out. Nice. You're all class. <laughs> uh, now, is that your uh, production assistant just arrived? That's my production assistant ready to take some calls. Yeah. He's see, just rolled up. That cheap. Yeah. Oh, Younger the better. First appearance. Yep. <laughs> Perfect. Paid him rusks. Exactly. I best go make a bottle and we might talk next week, eh? Lovely. Have a good one. See ya. See ya. The VO Radio Show is produced in the studios of Voodoo Sound. To polish your next audio production, check us out at voodoo-sound.com. Find professional voices simply all in one place. Realtimecasting.com, including me.